Good morning. Y'all heard Steve say there's food afterwards, right? Morning. Morning. All right. Every song would have been rejoice, rejoice. Y'all too low energy for be having lunch afterwards. Come on. So this morning, our series takes us uh, to a session of uh, Paul's writing that I don't think we've studied very much. Um, we're looking at a couple of verses from Second Timothy. From Second Timothy. Um, the, the letters of First and Second Timothy are sometimes called the pastoral letters because they're good for, for strong advice and, and sound teaching for those who would pastor or shepherd the local congregation. First uh, Timothy is probably most known in our circles for its teachings on elders and, and deacons. Um, but, but they're called the pastoral letters because Paul, an older, more experienced minister and evangelist, is imparting wisdom and perspective to the young Timothy. In fact, uh, by the time 2 Timothy is written, we actually start to get the feeling that Paul, who has now been imprisoned again for a second time in Rome, uh, is starting to think that he believes he may soon die. And not to get too dark, but being under the impression that he will soon be killed because of his imprisonment, he is now trying to really impart as much as he can into Timothy, who's going to kind of follow in his footsteps to kind of pass the torch. I mean, anyone who's ever had to learn a, a trade, whether you're a mechanic or a plumber, electrician, welder, you know how valuable, how irreplaceable just an, an older man who knows that trade teaching you how, how irreplaceable that can be, how valuable that can be. I've heard in a, a spiritual context, I've heard a Christian man should always have a, a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. That they should always have a, an older mentor who's leading and, and kind of pouring into you. That you should have a Barnabas, a, a peer, a co-worker, someone who's kind of going through the same struggles alongside you. And a Timothy, a younger person that you can pour into, that you can mentor. Those different stages of Christian development. Really, these, all three of these relationships are kind of fundamental to all the different things we do here. Um, in, in our Bible classes, we always encourage discussion because we know some of you older men, not old, just older, uh, have, have been reading and studying the Bible a lot longer than some of us younger guys have, and we need your perspective. It's why, it's why we're starting this monthly activity to get some of the young people together because we're, we know we're going through a lot of similar struggles just to, just to kind of have fellowship. And, and we'll probably have some, some devos or some you know, discussions here and there, but really it's just about fellowship, about just building each other up, talking, encourage each other, get to know one another. It's why I'm always pushing some of our younger guys to, what do you think about doing a, a devo? Do, come up with something to say five minutes, you know, to, to kind of push you a little bit because really that, that, that helps strengthen you as younger men, but it, it helps me too. It helps me too to be, to be able to be in the position of a mentor. It's important to have these relationships, to have someone mentoring you, to have someone alongside you, and to find somebody else that you can mentor and train. And I think it's crucial to our Christian walk. But I'll save the rest of the lesson of mentorship for another time. Uh, our focus today is, as I said, going to be in Second Timothy. And it's going to be on a, a man you've probably never heard of. Uh, in Second Timothy, Paul mentions a man named Onesiphorus, who I will for now on be calling Oni, because I'm not saying that every time. Um, Oni would fall into that peer category. He's, uh, 
He's a co-worker in Paul's ministry. We hear about Oni very briefly from 2 Timothy. And uh, as I said, Oni is a peer. Paul is the mentor who's writing to younger Timothy. So really, we kind of get a taste of all three of those perspectives just in the, the verses we're going to look at this morning. Not a lot of known, not a lot of things are known from Scripture about Oni. Uh, he, he's obviously not one of the twelve disciples. We don't uh, have, have any accounts of him doing the work of the apostles. Uh, an Orthodox tradition names him as one of the seventy disciples sent out in uh, in Luke ten. But we don't really have a ton of evidence for that. That's, that's probably just uh, an assumption they made. Uh, he's not mentioned as being a part of the Jerusalem Council of Apostles or Elders. And in fact, there's, there's really no other record of him being in church leadership at all. Um, sometimes we, we call people behind the scenes uh, movers and shakers. You know, people who exert influence that's kind of away from the spotlight. That They have a lot of influence behind the scenes. You just might not see him. Well, he's not really one of those people either. <laughs> um, Onesiphorus is really only mentioned right here in 2 Timothy 1, 16. He is certainly not what you would call a main character of the Bible, or really even a minor character of the Bible. He, if, you've ever, if you've ever seen the credits roll at the end of the movie, if the credits rolled at the end of the Bible, you know how at first they got like each actor in each role, and if you watch them long enough, it just has whole blocks of like six columns of names Oni would be somewhere in the six columns of names toward the end. He's just kind of, just kind of a guy. It's really all he is. But that's actually why we're talking about him this morning, because you don't have to be anybody special or extraordinary to do the work of the church. And of course, we know we're all given particular tif- gifts or talents that we can contribute to the church with, but... Oni, as I said, was not a star. He was not a a standout evangelist or apostle. But Paul tells us here in 2 Timothy that what he did mattered. It had an impact. So I'm going to go ahead and read for us uh, 2 Timothy, if you have your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, starting in verse 15, Paul says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. But the Lord grant mercy to the household of of Oni, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. There's not a, a ton of people Paul stops to mention by name in a lot of his letters, relatively. Um, it's, it's just kind of a select few in fact, the only other people he mentions by name here are actually for negative things. Would hate to be that person. Um, but at the, at the end of the letter in 2 Timothy, Paul actually also says again, greet Priscilla and Aquila, who would sound familiar to us from Acts 18. But he also says again, and greet the household of Oni. He mentioned twice, once at the beginning and once again at the end. As I said, there's only a few short verses here about what he did. But I think there's some good lessons we can extract from these few words Paul says about him. The first lesson I want us to take from his example is the power of presence. The power of presence. Paul tells us, he he doesn't really tell us a lot about what exactly it was Oni did for Paul. But he starts off by saying, for he often refreshed me. 
which is an unusual phrase to describe a person, but people can be refreshing. You ever been invited to an event by somebody, like where you didn't know a lot of people, but you were invited by somebody, and then you get there before they do, and now you're afraid they're not going to show up at all, or they show up late? And so you're kind of just standing there looking around like, okay, I don't... When that person comes in, now you're like, oh, thank you, you're here. You might not even like them or have very much in common, but they are suddenly your favorite person right then. You're refreshed to see them. When we're in an unfamiliar place among unfamiliar people, knowing somebody, a familiar face, can be very refreshing. I think if we turn it around, I wonder when when people see us, when they encounter us out in the world, whether that's at the workplace or at home or in schools or at the grocery store, do we refresh people? Do people leave conversations with us feeling better? Better about their day that they saw us, happier? Do they kind of a little pep in their step because they saw us? I'll tell you this. We, we talk a lot about inviting people to church. But if someone doesn't feel comfortable with you in a familiar setting, they are not going to feel comfortable with you going to an unfamiliar setting. It won't happen. There's a power of presence. When, when Paul was imprisoned, it was refreshing for him to see a, a familiar face. When someone is struggling, and we all know that as long as we are in the world, we will struggle, sometimes the best thing you can do for someone who is struggling is just be there. You can use that, that power. Um, the, the summer before I graduated, I'm sorry, the summer before I started high school, uh, August 13th, 2007, um, my grandfather passed away. He was a longtime member of the Louisville Church of Christ, which is in the Dallas area. Uh, I think he was a deacon. But he was really involved in the church, and uh, he, he, he passed somewhat abruptly. And he had been battling cancer for a couple years, but he was in remission. And uh, I remember, at least to me, not really understanding the full scope of cancer at the time. It was very surprising. And... Uh, he was taken by, by an ambulance to the hospital really, really early in the morning. And uh, I remember my mom and I leaving our house and racing there to try and see him. And uh, we get to the hospital, we park, and I'm getting out of the car, and another car comes flying through the parking lot, like almost runs me over getting out of the car. And it's, it's still kind of dark, so I figured he didn't see us. Um, and this man, after he parks, he gets out and is in a full suit, takes off running, to the entrance of the hospital and again almost knocks us down running in because he's he's in such a rush and as I watched him I, I had not gone to church with my grandparents a ton at that time but as I watched him I recognized him as the preacher from there from that congregation um, to this day I could tell you what Jeff Jenkins was wearing when he showed up at the hospital at about 4.30 in the morning because it was it was, as I said, probably not even 5 a.m. on a Monday morning. And he had gotten up, put on a full suit, combed his hair, uh, drove about probably 30 minutes across town, and then somehow beat us, the family, there. I remember the, in the days that followed, the church family that came by my grandmother's house endlessly. Just oh, tons of people. Some people brought home-cooked meals, hot meals. Some people just brought flowers. Some people brought desserts. Some people just showed up. They were just there. And I will not forget that. I can promise you my grandmother still remembers it too. One of the last things Jesus said to his disciples before he left them is he said, Behold, I am with you always. 
there is such a power in our presence, especially when people are struggling, especially when people need us. And I get that, uh, you know, we, Jesus said to the disciples, I am with you always. I get we are not, we're not Jesus. We probably can't have the same comfort that I'm sure his presence brought. But Jesus also told the disciples, love one another as I have loved you. In John 15, 12, we are given a lot, many commands as Christians. But sometimes I think the best thing we can do, the best way we can love people, is just be there. To tell someone, hey, I'm here. I'm with you. The next, our text tells us that in 2 Timothy that Oni was there for Paul. That he refreshed him. Our second lesson is really right there in the text next to the first. It says, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Sometimes when we're trying to be there for people or trying to support people or trying to do something for somebody, there's going to be difficulties. And actually, I know I said sometimes, but I'm going to change that. Probably all the time. Probably all the time. There's going to be some kind of difficulty when it comes to us wanting to help people. It sounds like uh, here in Paul's second round of being imprisoned under Roman imprisonment, uh, he's, he's fallen pretty hard times since the text we studied last week. <laughs> If you remember last week in Philippians, uh, Paul was excited. He was really still on fire. He said, everyone in here knows I'm in here for the sake of the gospel. It's, it's for the good of the kingdom that I've been imprisoned. He's, he's still really on fire for Christ and, and in his work. But he's fallen on hard times since then. This second round, it sounds like, is wearing on Paul a bit more. It's harder. If you look over to the chapter 4, just in 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 9, as Paul's ending his letter, he, he kind of is almost begging Timothy. He says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Suffering with friends is a lot better than suffering alone. That goes back to that power of presence. It sounds like whatever the terms were of Paul's imprisonment this time around, it's a lot harder. He's getting pretty discouraged. He's, as I said, falling on hard times. And it, it sounds like this imprisonment, whatever the, the context is or the setting, it sounds like it's deterring a lot of people from wanting to come see him, from wanting to associate with a man who's been imprisoned for what he's doing. Sometimes... And tell me if this sounds familiar in your life. Sometimes people want to help, but they want to help on their terms. I feel like, if I can uh, say this, I, I feel like from my time living in the South, and I'll include Texas in the South for the, the purpose of this, but I feel like it's kind of worse because we love telling people, uh, let me know if you've heard this before. Oh, you just, you just give me a holler if you need anything. You guys just give us a call. We're just over that. You just give us a holler if you need anything. You ever had someone tell you that and you know they're not going to answer the phone when you call them? As they're sitting there telling you, you know you are not going to be helpful to me at all. Sometimes people want to help on their terms. My own experience, if you want to know who your real friends are, call them up on a Saturday in about mid-July and ask them to help you move some furniture. And find out who your friends are real quick. See who shows up then. 
But on a serious note, as Christians, when we're called to help people, when we're called to love people, we cannot be deterred by difficulties. Because there will be difficulties. In fact, sometimes the people who need the help from the church most are not easy to help. They're involved in situations that we don't really want to get ourselves involved in. They're associated with people. Sometimes they're in parts of towns that we don't really want to go to. They're doing things that we don't really want to do. But the second thing I think we can learn from Oni's example here in 2 Timothy is not to be deterred by those difficulties. Paul's imprisonment, even though it was presumably for the gospel, has caused such a roadblock that a lot of local churches or the local congregations, the local Christians, sounds like they've kind of withdrawn from Paul. They've kind of, he's not receiving the support, whether that's financial, emotional, mental, physical, he's not receiving the same support he was used to receiving. But it says, Oni said, often refreshed him and was not ashamed of his chains. Jesus warned the disciples in Luke 9, 62. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Sometimes, I think we want to be a part of the kingdom. We're signing right up for salvation, right? (laughs) That sounds great. Heaven, eternal life, awesome. Right there. Sign me up. Sometimes we want to be part of the kingdom, but we don't want to do kingdom work. Or sometimes we want to do kingdom work, but we want to do it on our terms. Well, I'll do this, but I'm not doing that. Or I'll do it on this, but I don't know about that time. Or that's just not really good for me. To be honest, if I understand the rest of that Jesus' teachings from, from Luke 9, when he said, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God, if I understand the rest of those teachings correctly, I'm just not sure that's how it works. I'm not sure we get to do the work of God on our terms. When things get hard, Jesus tells them, you cannot turn back. We cannot be deterred by difficulty. In fact, Jesus tells the disciples many times, expect it. Don't be deterred by it. But you know what? In fact, suffering, difficulty, hardship, persecution, expect that. The last thing we can learn from our our text this morning, or at least the last one I'm going to talk about, is, uh, is really the simplest, I think. 2 Timothy 1.17 says, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. When we are uh, aware of the power we can, the, of our presence, we can just help people. When we, when we don't let the difficulty of their situation deter us, sometimes we still are going to have to put in extra effort. Being there for people is not always easy. It's not always our plan A. It's not always going the way we think it would go. Sometimes you show up and it's a lot harder than you thought you were signing up for. But quite simply, from Oni's example here in 2 Timothy, it needs extra effort. I know when I sort of reflect on my own life, 
when I know on the, just the ways I've failed either in my personal evangelism or in, in church work of some kind, the failures usually happen when I just don't put in the extra effort. It's that simple. Sometimes there's things we can't control, but quite oftentimes when, when something doesn't get done, when somebody doesn't get called, whether it's a, a Bible study or an event that's being planned or someone I'm trying to get a hold of, it fails because just didn't put in the extra effort. It happens. I know when, I've, when things didn't really go the way I wanted to, it's, it's oftentimes because I, for whatever reason, was just kind of waiting for them to happen. I know we can take that approach sometimes, that we just kind of wait for the time to create itself in our schedule, right? We just think, well, I'll, I'll figure that out. I'll work that out. Don't intend to. It's a, and to be honest, it's not really my walking through life philosophy, but it happens. As I said, whether that's making time to study with someone, to, to visit somebody who's, who's shut in, to call someone and invite them to church. The times that, as I said, when I reflect on my life, that I have failed, it's often simply because I didn't put in the extra effort. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.24 said, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? Just in the second chapter of 1 Timothy, he said, Is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share? The athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We need to recognize that we are running a race to receive a reward. We need to understand the power of our presence as Christians, how we can help people by being there. We need to not let the difficulties of their situation deter us. And sometimes we just need to put in the extra effort. The beauty of of Oni's example in 2 Timothy is, is that Oni was not... One of the twelve disciples. He wasn't an apostle. First Timothy, Paul talks at great length about titles and roles for the church, about elders, about deacons. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about how Jesus gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some teachers. But the beauty of his example from Second Timothy is that he wasn't any of those people. Yes, We know the church needs elders. Yes, the church needs deacons. But if you take all the elders, deacons, and preachers in the North Alabama area, if you just round up all those guys, that probably makes up about 1%, maybe 5% of the churches. The rest of the church? It's guys like Oni. Members, that's what we would call them. We have titles for a lot of different roles. That's what we would call them. Oni was just a member. And I say just, but really, that's what the church needs. Yes, elders are important to the work of the church. Yes, preachers, I know, are important to the work of the church. The church needs members. The church needs people to to pinch the cheeks of the cute baby sitting in the pew next to them. It needs people to, to stand outside and... Talk about whether this AC unit or this AC unit is going to be good for the fellowship hall. These people to show up when someone pulls their tractor and tell them how awesome of a job what they did was. The church needs you, y'all. The church needs people. The church is people. If you are here, 
The church needs you. I think there's a lot we can learn from the example of Oni. We know that it is not... A lot of churches talk a lot about membership, but we know that it is not man who holds the key to membership in the church. It is Christ. Membership to the church is established through repentance, through confession, and through baptism. If you have questions, if you have needs, if you want to know about church membership, about biblical church membership, you can do that now. We ask that you come forward while we stand and while we sing.